What if you were born with a disease that you always knew would kill you? And then what if all of a sudden you were given a second chance? Well, that's exactly what happened to me. And it's the question that we explore on the new podcast series, Breathless from Snack Labs. Join me, Jeremy Saunders, for a series that explores what it means to live and die, to love and to lose, and what it's like to have your whole life turned upside down and the unexpected challenges that come with a life-saving drug. You can listen to Breathless now, wherever you get your podcasts. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. Good day, Termion fans. Uh, Bridie here to introduce this week's guest. Uh, this week's guest is Sarah Gibson, and actually a past guest of uh, Termion, but this time we're on the show to talk about something completely different. Sarah is a birth enthusiast, uh, enthusiast, sorry, and educated midwifery student, and they are joining us this week to talk about. Uh, birth outside of the status quo. We loved our conversation with Sarah and we think you're really going to enjoy it too. So we'll see you on the other side. Well, okay. So, I mean, we, we've been having a conversation here before the, before the mics were rolling, but um, uh, the, the and and we just mentioned uh, orgasmic birth with with our with our guest Sarah. Hello, Sarah. How are you? Hello. <laughs> um, so glad to have you. But uh, before we get into that, before we get into the thing that I really really want to talk about, um, Sarah, you are nearing graduation as a midwifery student. Yeah, okay. one more year. <laughs> now, I didn't know it was pronounced midwifery. I would have thought mid midwifery. Oh. But but I'm I but <laughs> a sad and awkward oh yeah 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 oh, uh, is, is midwifery is it is that it midwifery like is that the it, uh, uh, or, yeah, is, or can... is the word midwife not like not 
Midwife. PC so it's midwife singular. Midwife is singular. Okay. okay. Yeah. Uh, midwives, plural. Uh, quick little grammar there. Yeah. And midwifery. As a, uh, as a but but not midwifery. 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 <laughs> like a whiff, not a sniff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, are are all genders midwives? Uh, yes. Okay. Uh, which is. Interesting because I'm non-binary and okay. use they them pronouns, okay. and some of my colleagues are the same, uh, but we still go as midwives. Uh, and then some folks who are uh, cisgendered also call their husbands mid-husbands because it takes a team to support midwives ultimately, but uh, not the practitioners themselves. And I honestly only know of three masculine uh, like men practicing midwives in Ontario. Mm. So. Wow. Yeah, predominantly uh, cisgendered women who mm-hmm. practice as midwives. What is, what's the, um, I, I, just from, just because I'm not so smart, what is the difference between a midwife and a doula? Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. So doulas are amazing. And as midwives, we absolutely love working with them because they can offer uh, physical support and emotional support uh, to clients, whereas we are primary care practitioners for them. So doulas aren't making any of those medical decisions. And in fact, the, the whole point of midwifery is to give folks informed uh, choice and uh, decision making. So information for them to be making all of their decisions around their care but we would be the person that can order things like tests and blood work and uh, do any screening for them and offer care like a primary physician would. And midwives don't always get a doula, right? No, no. So it's kind of on the client themselves or the individual or family themselves to get a doula, but there are in bigger cities. I haven't practiced in Toronto or had that uh, privilege to do so, but in some bigger cities, there are pairings between the two or they'll recommend doulas if we find that people need a bit more support or want a bit bit more support. So we kind of work together. In film, Mm -hmm. it's really common for first director or uh, a yeah, first assistant directors to have second assistant directors that they work with regularly or third assistant directors. Is that, is that kind of, that's kind of it. Yeah, exactly. So we, what I've learned in uh, the education piece is that a lot of what happens in midwifery care is like, if as a student, I get a lot of experience being able to support folks uh, emotionally and physically. But when you're practicing as a midwife, we have to document so much that sometimes the whole policy of documentation takes away from some of the care and like bedside one-on-one care that we would like to be able to offer in labor. Uh, so that's where a doula is really, really handy to come in and be able to do that. Cool. In terms of like medical practice, like mm-hmm. what what's the scope of, of a midwife's practice? I, as opposed to say like a, a OBGYN or. So we are specialists in low risk birth, uh, whereas in OBGYN is a specialist in high risk birth. And uh, I mean, midwifery is low risk obstetrics. Pass it on to everyone. <laughs> All right, uh, if, you're, yeah, if you're considered uh, low risk in pregnancy, and to be honest, the vast majority of pregnancies are considered low risk, then a midwife would be 
the person to go see or a team of midwives would be the person to go see. The caveat there is that there's not enough midwives across Canada uh, to be able to offer that support to folks who want them. So I think about 25% of people who request midwifery care get them, Hmm. uh, leaving a really big gap for the other folks. Is there a reason why there's not as many? What's the, what's, what's that all about? Yeah. So I know in like, I'm coming from the Ontario lens. So we, and like we were talking about before this started kind of rolling is that uh, there's not enough schools out there to be able to register and um, get midwives out (laughs) in terms of education, because there's only two now in the province of Ontario. Uh, There's only, I think, five across Canada uh, that register midwives or educate midwives. And there's only one in all of Canada that now offers the program in French. And each year, there are only 30 people that get into the cohort. Uh, So, yeah. And the rate in which people sometimes, because there's not a lot of support for students, kind of drop out throughout. It's not 30 people that are graduating in each cohort. Now, okay, this, this might be, this might be like a silly question, but because of the, uh, because of the small amount of you that exist, do midwives face like stigma in the medical community? You know, like, 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 do you guys, are you guys looked upon as, um, lesser than, uh, like, a um, uh, an, uh, an RN or something like that because, there's RNs everywhere, but like a yeah. midwife, uh, there's not a lot of midwives out there. We don't know much about them. And they're just like overpaid doulas. Yeah. So uh, part of it is an education piece for even our colleagues. And um, part of our education, even in third year, is doing interprof- interprofessional placements to be able to work with colleagues and say like an OBGYN or mm. a nurse in labor and delivery, uh, just to one educate them on our scope of practice and what we're capable to do and of doing. Um, But for the most part, uh, midwives practice as independent contractors in the province. I mean, we're all regulated under the College of Midwives uh, in every province that has them. And uh, it's just that essentially what happened years and years ago is that OBs kind of took over and started pushing out midwives Mm. uh, and then made midwifery illegal in Canada. And then it's been this huge push since essentially the 90s was when midwifery was re-legalized in certain provinces and territories. And even since then, I think there's still one province that doesn't have midwifery as a legal profession. Wow. Oh my God, that's fascinating. I think it's Prince Edward Island, isn't it? It might be PEI. I wish I knew. I should have studied a little more. I know we, I know that's where I'm from. And I think we're, we're, uh, we were, we may be legal now, but I think we were late to the game. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Nova Scotia was only 2009. Okay. Wow. That's so fascinating. I was definitely hearing about, this was like definitely in my news feed pre-COVID, like just but close to COVID. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. So I I had no idea. That's so interesting. Yeah. And what leads to burnout is that uh, our interprofessional relationships sometimes are are difficult. Yeah. Uh, So instead of having the supportive kind of atmosphere, and this isn't to say that this is across the board and all the time, but uh, it does lead to difficulties because instead of being able to just kind of focus on the care that we're providing for clients, uh, we're also hit and faced with policy in hospitals that are anti-midwifery in a way and anti-normal birth. So not just midwives and 
um, it, it makes it harder to practice. So you're going to meet a lot of very passionate folks who want to normalize physiological birth and unassisted birth, um, and orgasmic birth in a way, um, versus, yeah, versus the kind of conveyor belt mode of birthing that a lot of people see in hospitals. Sure. Before we swing. I'm, I'm not yeah. going to go there yet. <laughs> okay. But yeah, I got, I got more, but, okay. but go ahead. Well, I wanted to know if, uh, now that it's legal in the province, in certain provinces and territories, are you allowed, are midwives allowed in hospitals? Yeah. So, okay. um, part of our practice is to allow folks the choice of birthplace. So, and I say allow, but support the choice of birthplace. So it's supporting them at home, but we definitely have hospital privileges, uh, which is amazing because then we can offer a different kind of pain management if midwifery clients do want that, um, or offer at birth centers if they don't want to be at home, but want to be in a cl- more clinical setting and offer that, uh, or yeah, in hospitals too. Okay. I, I have a question about mode of birth, um, um, or preference for, 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 um, birthing. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm aware of, of, Mm -hmm. uh, of home births. In fact, our, our, um, my sister-in-law has, has had several, um, (laughs) and, and is a very like big proponent of them. And, and it seems like a very beautiful, my, my good friend of mine just, just recently had a baby with, with a home birth. It seems very beautiful. Um, yeah. But I'm also, I've also been, um, I, I know of a couple of people who have, who have gone down the road of, of free birth and okay. in my yeah. social circle, which is mm-hmm. pretty full of like a good broad mix of people who are very open-minded and people who are a little bit more closed-minded. Mm-hmm. Um, even within that broad spectrum, there seems to be a, a quite a bit of controversy Mm-hmm. around anyone that I know who has chosen to do a free birth and the people in their lives being like, what are you doing? Like that's yeah. a, like bad, bad <laughs> news bears. And, and I, you know, I see why people make that assumption or, or, or have that thought. Um, yeah. I don't know where I stand. I mean, from everything that I've heard and, and that I've gathered through that information, I'm like, it does seem a little, scary to me. And like, if I was with a partner and my partner wanted to do that, I think that would, that might be a hard conversation for me because I, yeah. I think there would be a lot of fear around that. Absolutely. So as a midwife and mm-hmm. so with someone who knows so much about birth, um, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on free birth? Um, and, and, and just give it to me straight. What are your thoughts on okay. free birth? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, disclaimer, I'm still a student, <laughs> so I'm just going to put that perfect, out there. Perfect. Uh, and, uh, my opinions are of my own and not of every midwife. I can't speak for every midwife. Uh, but I think, and free birth, just to kind of educate listeners is unassisted mm. birth. So not having a medical professional present. And I think, again, it's well within the right of a person to choose, uh, but they should definitely educate themselves because there are things that even at home, like I was just certified in neonatal resuscitation. And that's something that comes up sometimes where a baby will be born and have a difficult time in transition. Mm. So if somebody's choosing that, they should probably educate themselves on things like resuscitation and stimulation for a baby if something was to go wrong, or um, also know when to call it quits kind of thing. Um, mm. Or And by quits, I mean just when to ask for help. Because uh, we have clients who will come into care and then say that they don't want anything, any sort of assistance or any sort of um, 
I don't know, like blood work or um, ultrasound or anything like that. And it becomes clear sometimes without the conversation happening that they almost want to have an unassisted birth, but then have us there as backup. And usually that becomes a conversation that we have with them. Um, so sometimes it's us showing up and this isn't us inserting, but um, it's just sort of us showing up and allowing them to go through their birthing experience. Mm -hmm. And if they ask for help, then we we offer help. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, for in, ter in terms of free birth, it's a huge movement that's kind of born out of uh, it's born out of a, a desire to uh, kind of regain control and empowerment and self-empowerment. And I definitely understand because there's a lot of violence in obstetrics and um, systemic violence in obstetrics that come up and midwives aren't perfect in that realm either. So people wanting to kind of take back their own experience, uh, which is foundational and very uh, formative, I find go for it, you know, mm. just please, please educate yourself if you're, if you want to do it. What a, what a thoughtful answer. I, I answer. really appreciate that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, and that, that I feel like, I feel like that's kind of informed me a little bit on how to like handle the conversation next time something comes up around free birth. So thank you for that. My friend said that you need to educate yourself about how to resuscitate. I had a conversation on my podcast yeah. about that. Um, yeah. Sarah, I know that when we uh, when we had initially discussed um, bringing you back on the show, um, that uh, one of the things that you had mentioned was um, birth outside the status quo. Mm -hmm. um, what what does that mean? What 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 would birth outside of the status quo uh, consist of? Oh, uh, so. <laughs> I think right now we're kind of at this strange dichotomy uh, in in birth because we are advancing at such a rate in the medical world that a lot of people want to use these beautiful things like pain management uh, and having hospital births because you can have a pain-free birth experience and um, lay on your back and maybe kind of like have naps throughout it and be a passive participant in um, physiological birth. And then there are folks who want this really empowering, I was fully present and uh, felt everything and got to decide in everything. Um, in terms of what they were doing throughout their labor and birthing experience. Uh, but birthing outside of that uh, is kind of, or maybe even just within the realm of those things. I think of when I think of outside of the status quo, I think of folks who are kind of challenging themselves to take more of an active role versus a passive role in it. So it's folks who maybe want to challenge their healthcare providers on some of uh, the things that are being offered to them and making us even question, why is it that we normally offer certain things to folks if it might cause more problems uh, for them along the way, or might cause more investigations and kind of pathologizing birth in a way that doesn't need to happen whatsoever, uh, just because we deem it safer, practices and policies deem it safer. What so would folks be an who example do, oh. of that? Oh, uh, one thing that we do in, or something that we offer to every pregnant person is uh, GDM screening, so gestational diabetes, uh, just because what happens in pregnancy is that you create some, some folks uh, because of the placenta and hormones that come along with creating a placenta. Uh, create insulin intolerance. Uh, so they create 
they have during uh, pregnancy diabetes. Mm -hmm. And then once they deliver the placenta, they no longer have that uh, gestational diabetes. But that with that comes certain levels of risk. And some of it is kind of like a bigger baby, large for gestational age infants uh, and can cause other risks and complications in pregnancy. Um, So we try to offer screening for everybody. But at the same time, the screening isn't 100% accurate. So people, we force people to do, I'm not forced, I'm trying to be very careful and cautious on the language I'm using, but essentially we offer this and we strongly recommend this Mm -hmm. thing to Mm -hmm. folks that isn't entirely accurate. And sometimes we have false positives and sometimes we end up with folks doing um, like, not that they get to the point of being on insulin, but sometimes doing things and watching their diet and over policing their pregnancy that don't actually have to be whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Um, So somebody coming back and saying, no, I absolutely don't want to. And we kind of have to take a step back and ask, oh, why does that make us uncomfortable sometimes Mm -hmm. hearing no? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Doctors don't like to hear no. No. Like like healthcare (laughs) professionals in general, it's, it is, and, and, and advocating for your own health is, is extraordinarily important. So it's kind of, it's kind of nice to hear that that is a part of, you know, the, 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 that, that, that's a part of at least the way that you're approaching this work that you're doing and, and it's in the back of your mind. I, I'm trying yeah. to get into my actor shoes and be like, okay, if act, I was, act, I'm act, acting act, now, act. if I was a pregnant person um, and, you know, I've never had a pregnancy before, but let's say I've had at least one pregnancy before. So I'm a, like, I'm not overly I'm not like brand new to this. Let's so, say you've had seven kids. You're on your No, end. no. Let's just keep it <laughs> okay, reasonable. Okay, okay, okay. Let's keep it believable. Sure, 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 sure. For my imagination's Got sake, it. my acting skills. Okay, so I have one child. I'm You're I from got, West Virginia. <laughs> I've got my right. Tell us about your parents. Let, let's let, let's get deep into this character breakdown. I'm living on the family farm. <laughs> okay. Yeah, the yeah, just yeah. just <laughs> outside yeah, yeah, of town, which has a busy and booming hospital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you with me now? Yeah, I can smell yeah. it. This is great. <laughs> okay. It's uh, the plains are flat. The air is <laughs> okay, blowing okay, warm. Okay, okay. Is it okay. mud season or? <laughs> <laughs> it's dry season. Okay. Um, no, but 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 so I'm being offered this test. It doesn't come across to me like it's an offering or an option. It's like, we recommend this. And for most of us who are like, we just do what the health professionals say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's, it's never brought, you have a choice whether you would do this. So, but why would I not like, how would I benefit from not having, say I did the test and it was positive and that was accurate. Mm-hmm. But I but I chose not to, and I had that pregnancy anyway, and I had the gestational diabetes. If I chose not to get that test, mm-hmm. and I have that, it's going yeah. to come to light at some point, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'll find out eventually down the road, yep. for sure, one way or another. Yeah. But knowing ahead of time mm-hmm. means that I can try to curb potential s- symptoms of that. Yeah. And potential risks, right. That can kind of pop up. So it would just change our management of, of a pregnancy, but again, managing a pregnancy versus allowing it to be, uh, in, in that. So, uh, I think what we try to do is let things be and have a hands-off approach as much as possible. Yeah. And the, the, 
routine screening per se that we offer is done because it's based in evidence and research, but at the same time, evidence and research can be challenged and can be kind of uh, reorganized in a way and revisited. Uh, And it's like each individual birth, like from one birth, if somebody has GDM, it doesn't necessarily mean that they'll have it in a second pregnancy. Um, So yeah, it's just always kind of worth checking in to see how people are doing and what their individual experiences within their health. I, uh, you had mentioned placenta earlier and I, I honestly think the placenta is probably one of the most fascinating uh, outside of the brain. I think the placenta (laughs) is probably one of the most fascinating pieces of a human body that exists far enough. Like it is fucking, (laughs) fucking crazy what the placenta is. I wish I'm I'm really glad that this is being recorded because I'm like the usually the weirdo in the room that gets really excited about placentas and I oh. give clients placenta tours and they're like, I just gave birth. I don't want to look at that. And I'm like, <laughs> but look, this is what your body yeah. made aside from I, that really cute baby you're holding, you know, yeah. <laughs> highly recommend you yeah. do this with yeah. me. It, it really is a fascinating thing. And and I, I had just recently, um, maybe a few months ago, listened to a podcast about how the placenta the placenta is actually for for a lot of humans. The placenta is a foreign body, and yeah. and so it 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 literally changes a person's immune system. Mm-hmm. Um, and and which is why here's a crazy thing, oh right? God. Listen to this: someone who has autoimmune disorders, um, <gasps> who's who's lived with autoimmune disease their entire life, the the placenta, uh, whatever's going on in there, I, I'm I'm too dumb to break down the science of it because I listened to this podcast fucking forever ago, but. <laughs> But um, oftentimes people with autoimmune disorders will find that they, that their autoimmune disorders kind of heal up and get better and, and almost he- like I've um, heard almost of this. disappear. Yeah. But only while they're pregnant. Only while they're only pregnant. Only throughout pregnancy. And there's, yeah. and so there's people that, that, that literally are like, okay, that was, <laughs> so, that was so much better than the, than living with this thing. I'm just going to perpetually be pregnant. Yeah. Like, I'm going <laughs> to get as pregnant as I possibly can. <laughs> but wait. Can't aren't we at the point where science can be like, okay, we can trick your body into thinking you're pregnant all the time, and then you, you could get some of those benefits? Yeah, it's a good question, Brad. It's not the same. It's not <laughs> to the same level. Right. I'm here right. to put a damper on that, unfortunately. Right. Right. Yeah, that you would get <laughs> uh, from a placenta. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the the reason I brought up placenta. Oh yes, this is why I brought up placenta. <laughs> so I've uh, again throwing back to like the conversations that I'm having now because a bunch of my friends are having kids or just had kids. Kids are just everywhere in my life right now. Too many kids. And um, uh, one of the things, so I was, at a, I was at a friend's house the other night and we were having some beers and they recently had a baby and he went and he pulled out the placenta of the freezer. It was, in, it was in like a dry, a dry freeze, a, a, a vacuum sealed bag. And I was like, whoa, shit. So I'm holding this fucking placenta in a, in a vacuum sealed frozen bag. And... Then a few days later, I was hanging out with another friend who was there and I was talking about how cool that was. And, and my friend that was there was like, well, I really hope that they don't eat it. And I was like, oh, oh yeah. I thought that was like, I, I, I don't <laughs> think that's a bad, I don't think yeah. that's bad. And they were like, well, I don't think it is good. And so we had this debate of like, well, is it okay to eat the placenta? Is it not okay? Mm-hmm. And so, so... Am I wrong in assuming that it is okay to eat the placenta or or blend it up and put it into pills and and swallow them, uh, or is that a myth? Or is it better to plant it in your garden and let grow, grow a baby tree? 
So you're touching on some cultural <laughs> things there, which is really cool. Uh, and like burying a placenta, there's a lot of indigenous uh, folks who do that. Uh, oh, cool. Where I didn't know that. either, yeah, their babies are conceived on the land, so they want to reconnect because the placenta is actually the baby, so they'll reconnect mm. by planting their placenta. Uh, but we were talking about eating them. Uh, anecdotal, I think. There's not ex- yeah. like really strong evidence right now, but at the same time, if somebody tells me that they're going to have somebody dry and encapsulate their placenta and it really helped with their postpartum depression, um, I'm not going to tell them it did. You know, yeah. Um, Whether that was placebo or not, it doesn't matter. It was it that was the experience that you had, and great, awesome, yeah, yeah. Um, But are there? there, Do you think there's danger to it? Like, do you think that there's a, um, you know, like like uh, here's an example: Bridie pisses in the bathtub, (laughs) right? So she is in the tub taking a bath. This and this is this is for real, and she pees in the tub, and to her. This is helping her somehow with her skin. And and I'm not going to stand here and say, that's not true. That's not what I said. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to, I'm just going to go, sure, whatever. Um, but that's but, not what he said. We, it, it, went, it was an all out brawl on the podcast. <laughs> but it, okay. So my point is, is, um, is it, is it, is, are there, is unsafe? are there risks? Are there, are there risks in ingesting, um, uh, something that has come from your body, but is obviously not like, you know, it's not food. So, I mean, it's an organ. We eat other organs from other animals. Mm-hmm. Other animals eat organs. Like there are animals out there and mammals out there that eat their own placentas. And it's just something they do naturally, like normally. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it comes down to preparation. Like it, if you're letting a piece of meat sit out for a few days and then you eat it, there's probably a chance like there's that risk in the back of your head that it might not be the best thing to ingest uh so i think that's kind of where my brain goes with that food one safety food yeah. safety <laughs> general yeah, food safety right. principles apply yeah and for anybody who's listening who wants to ingest their placenta uh just tell your healthcare provider at the hospital that you want to keep your placenta at your birth and they'll put it in the freezer for you right away and make sure that you can take it home with you wow cool what are some other things that might happen with the placenta aside from eating it or planting it uh that is a good question i know some people will cut it in half uh and like burn it uh and then some people dry it out so they do oh i'm trying to remember what it is but they'll actually leave it attached to the baby and oh, then yeah. put it in the bowl with a bunch of herbs and flowers and salts and let it dry out uh i wish i could google this right now to have the name of it but it's I had a, a, I had an acquaintance that yeah so the baby's born and it's still attached to the placenta by the umbilical cord is that correct yeah, yeah. so then the placenta lives outside of the womb lotus with yeah yes, yeah, with the baby oh. but mm-hmm. it eventually dries but is there care do you know is there care yeah. for the placenta during that time yeah so it's uh so it gets wrapped up sometimes in like petals and flowers and then it gets dried out with salts and um different herbs so depending on what the person chooses they can they can do that uh there are risks associated with lotus birth like infection and sepsis so right. uh not incredibly highly recommended, but at the same time, I'm not going to sit here and uh, yuck anybody's yum in terms of wanting to do that. So um, just do so with care. Right. Yeah, and interesting. that it would probably, does it still, why well, I guess physiologically, it's probably very different, but it still would just dry up and fall yeah. off the way an umbilical cord does. Okay. Exactly. Interesting. 
Uh, practices like lotus birth are believed by some to be traditional in history and are common in some modern cultures. However, its modern resurgence in, in industrial societies is credited to Claire Lotus Day in 1974. Um, day, uh, oh, sorry, that's their name, Claire their Lotus name, yeah. Day. Yeah, I was like, Claire Lotus Day? What, what, what happened <laughs> what on that day? What kind of day is this? Yeah, yeah. What day was that? Uh, the person uh, day uh, promoted lotus birth after she observed that anthropoid, uh, anthropoid apes don't sever their infants from the placenta. They don't very, have scissors. Very interesting. Yeah. They've got... Uh, I think they, they chew got them. teeth, though. Oh, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. As we would have done pre-scissors. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. Like a, like a briss. Um, all right. Let's talk about orgasmic birth. This yeah. is, I don't think I knew this ever. And this was something that was brought up in a conversation in a recent live episode that we did, a live show with oh, Tess right. from uh, Australia. And, um, Sorry, and where Tess, was that? Australia. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you were there, Cherio. Uh, no. And so Tess, uh, we we really like just she they they just kind of brushed over it uh, and said and said orgasmic, orgasmic birth, and I was like, that's a thing, yeah. Um, and of course, this is what spurred you, Sarah, to reach out to us. Yeah. Um, so so uh, I ha- I've purposely not looked into this, but what I what I'm gathering is that some people orgasm when they give birth intentionally, though intentionally. Wait. Hey, whoa. Oh, whoa. This totally changed again. For me. I thought it was just like the baby comes out and like pushes on the, 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 like the, the, the clitoris or like the, the Oh, have you seen a birth before Jeremy? No, actually, actually, no. Um, not, I can't, I actually, it's not his yum. I not really his idea couldn't. Of I, I, I'm, I'm that, I'm that, I'm that partner that would have to leave the room. I wouldn't be able to be there. It's real. It's, it's crazy that we've talked about birth this much, and I haven't already. He would be literally it. in his own hospital room with like a cold cloth on yeah. his forehead. Oh, yeah. oh you'd so, be one of those partners. Okay. I, w- I would. Yeah, unfortunately, I would. I'm not feeling well. I'm yeah. going to need some painkillers. <laughs> I'd make it about me. Set up a bed for you in the corner. Yeah, That's right. I'd be like making just... it all about me. How's our patient doing? So yeah, but I I did think that it was like the baby was coming out, and it was somehow pushing against you know, that like that internal like portion of the portion of the, of I mean, the I hear what you're saying. zones. Yeah. Um, okay. But I hear what you're saying. So this is not what we're talking about. No. <laughs> Fuck. Whoa. Um, okay. So there are there are two two ways here, uh, one of which is an actual orgasm and stimulation throughout um, labor. And the whole point of that essentially is to stimulate oxytocin, the old love molecule, which is the feel-good molecule, um, which is happening naturally in pregnancy and is being created naturally in pregnancy, but it stimulates um, uterine contractions in labor. Uh, So naturally created in labor, but then we also use pitocin or synthetic oxytocin to augment or to start off labors. Um, so things that you can do outside of using a synthetic version to stimulate, uh, oxytocin creation in the body are things like nipple play or, uh, things like you can do clitoral stimulation, but to be honest, a lot of folks will take a step back from that just because there's a lot already going on, um, in, in that area. And with the increased blood flow as well, uh, near the end of pregnancy, people get overstimulated. So a lot of folks don't actually want to be touched uh, on their clitoris or on their vulva. Um, 
but what happens is we'll have folks kind of, we'll create a space where folks feel like they can orgasm. So it's kind of creating a space where the brights aren't, or the brights, <laughs> the lights aren't super bright, the brights aren't light. And uh, it's creating a space where it's really quiet or asking folks to play music that they want to play and then having a partner either in the tub with them or on the bed with them and actually like cuddling and just like really making it an intimate space. Uh, that way they can drop into a place where it's a little more sensual. It's not yeah. as medicalized and pathologized. And um, then there are folks that ultimately do fall into the category of physical stimulation and kissing and wanting to create like this really sensual experience. Um, And then there's the other part of orgasmic birth, which doesn't involve physical stimulation, which is actually just the empowerment of a person in labor to be able to uh, make all of their own choices and make all of their own decisions and birth in whatever position is super comfortable for them and be up out of a bed and walking around and cuddling and touching and all of those things that I just mentioned, um, where they're oxytocin is so high in their body that one, they're having these really beautiful, strong contractions, but at the same time, they're also really in touch with uh, the pain management that's going on in their, in their birth. Uh, And their pain is conceived or like conceptualized as much lower. um, And they're able to tolerate it a lot more easily. Um, And people do have orgasms. Uh, in those moments and feel that pain as like this really big sensational release uh, in their contractions, which is a really, really cool thing. I would imagine like, I'm just thinking about what's going on and like, I don't, I actually don't know in massage school. We don't, we don't cover the pelvic floor. That's like additional schooling you need to do. But I'm just thinking of like what feels like is happening down there during an orgasm and what how, you know, even when I'm like on my cycle, if I'm cramping mm-hmm. really bad, like orgasms seem to, it's like, it okay, helps. let's lean in to yeah. the contraction that's happening there. Yeah. Instead of trying to get away. Right. Um, yeah. cause what tends to happen is when you're in pain, you brace yourself and you kind of clench up and you close and you don't, that's the opposite of what we want happening with the pelvic floor. Um, so then stimulating and having people kind of drop away from fear or go through fear to be able to release and open and, and deliver and relax their pelvic floor. Um, it, it really is helpful. And part of that too, like fear and shame are really mixed and you actually said it really well there too, Brady, in, in terms of the um, fear-based model that we in society have created uh, to look at and observe birth through um, really gets to folks in pregnancy and labor because you're pregnant for so long and you create this like whole thing on a pedestal, like, oh, this is the finish line and I I have to work towards this. And then there's extra pressure there of like, I need to do this perfectly. And whatever talk to like if you if you do the work and you want to engage in hypnobirthing or go through the empowerment of like really just getting educated on all of the things that can happen throughout that time it becomes this like release and orgasmic experience that's really cool yeah my mind is blown right yeah like and totally not what i thought i thought it was just like baby coming out oh wow that tickled in a way i didn't expect now i'm having an orgasm (laughs) Fuck, that was way different. 
Would you say that there are, I mean, I don't know if this is, this is kind of a left field question, but would you say that there are benefits to, to pregnancy, um, like, like self-pleasure or pleasure with a partner, like as you're going through to prepare, to actually for the preparation of birth? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, and part of my own personal research that I've been kind of embarking on is trying to see how folks sexuality changes throughout pregnancy. And there's a lot of research out there already. Um, but yeah, through through play and sensuality comes connection, right? And you're creating more of that oxytocin and connectivity to yourself and your body at a time where hormones are changing drastically in a very short period of time. Ultimately, folks are pregnant for 40 weeks and that's where you're gaining a lot of weight and your hormones, your whole body is changing and you're feeling a whole other being in your body. Um, so I find folks who can kind of like root down and reconnect and not become dissociated with what's happening um, can move through shame and fear around body as well, which is really great for pregnancy, mental stimulation, mental health as well, and, and labor. Um, Cause I find what tends to happen is that the way that we pathologize birth is it leads to the fear surrounding it in social circles, like through the birth experience. Um, and folks just kind of have this anticipatory like tension surrounding that, that it's going to hurt. It's going to suck. It's going to be this terrifying thing because uh, in movies on TV, we kind of dramatize it. And a lot of folks aren't overly educated in sexual health and wellness and don't have that piece. Uh, and then you also have partners who aren't really educated in sexual health too, that don't want to engage in partnered play with a pregnant partner. Uh, because they think they're going to hurt the baby or they think something bad is going to happen. Uh, but all of those things are really archaic and outdated. And I find if we focus a lot more on sexual health education piece, uh, one, people would be having way more sex and better sex in general, but then engaging in sex while they're pregnant too. Turn Me On Podcast will be back after this short break. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, I, uh, although I could never be in the room uh, mm-hmm. during the birth, I most certainly could have lots of sex. Uh, while uh, (laughs) my partner is pregnant and I have no fears that my penis would poke the baby. Yeah, tell your friends. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Really quick lesson there. There's a cervix in the way, so no penises. Uh, Right, right. That's what that pain is. Yeah, I think think anyone who's afraid of their penis poking the baby just has some ego issues that they need to sort out. No, I'd poke the baby. I know I would. It honestly happens more often than you think in care where we meet folks who are get it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's just in there. It's just in the vagina floating around. Yeah. On on a serious note, I feel like my guess is, and I don't know if you have the stats on this, but my guess is it's harder for partners to adjust to life after the baby is born in terms of sex because there is it does change a lot of things mm-hmm. in that region for an amount of time yeah so plus the postpartum possibility as well yep and that's that's it so in pregnancy there's usually the the hormones that are allowing folks to be aroused and have desire are kind of climbing in the first trimester uh, so that's usually when people are feeling the most um, sexually active or the most amount of desire. Uh, but then in the second trimester, that tends to plummet and um, kind of drop off the face of the earth. So folks find that they have a hard time with arousal and arousal and stimulation. So like vaginal dryness and not really experiencing the same kind of things uh, that they're used to. And then it kind of comes back up in the third trimester, but by that time, they've also had really significant body changes. So then there's that kind of piece as well that comes into it. So maybe lacking in confidence because their body has shifted and like lacking in the ability to have those conversations of maybe trying different positions Mm. um, with their partners too, or like exploration and play. Uh, And 
again, talk to your healthcare providers with this or like even physiotherapists about this because we don't know, um, then we can't offer any solutions. But at the same time, like to my colleagues, you don't talk about sexual health in, <laughs> in, the, in the room with their clients. Like it's up to us to also be checking in and not pathologizing sex mm-hmm. as well of only talking to somebody about it when it's a problem and kind of normalizing it in that way too. Uh, but in the postpartum t- period for sure, and what I find uh, sucks for a lot of folks is that they don't know that vaginal dryness is super normal uh, mm. because you just delivered a baby and your hormones take another tank right after you've delivered. And now you're also body feeding if you're if that's what you're choosing to do. So you have a whole other person that is stimulating and a lot of people get um, touched out. Uh, right. versus our COVID touch starved uh, that yeah. they may not be used to and may be giving all of themselves to be able to care for this person and are exhausted and undernourished. And then if you're stressed, then you don't really have a lot of desire. And then your partner is kind of on the side, hoping that they can get some, but don't know how to ask. Right? Yeah. So it can be isolating yeah. I'm sh- for, for both parties. Speaking yeah. of sexuality and birth, um, mm-hmm. This is something I forgot that I wanted to talk to you about, which was we recently talked about a um, a sort of fetish uh, kink coming out of a big time coming out of India of uh, adult breastfeeding. And oh, in that yeah. conversation um, that Bridie and I were having, um, the I the 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 term um, wet nurse came up. And we were kind of like, how long, like if someone was breastfeeding or if someone had the ability to breastfeed, how long can that extend to? And so like if someone had, so anyway, I don't even know what my question, my, I guess my question is, first of all, how does wet, how does a wet nurse work? Yeah. If you, if you don't have a baby, yeah. how do, how does the human body start producing milk without 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 all the the hormones that come along with the birth process. I'm so excited you're asking this question. <laughs> um so anybody can actually stimulate their breasts and chests and bodies to create um, breast milk and into breast milk production. So even without a baby present? Even without a baby present. So Whoa. there are drugs Whoa. out there that you can take, there are herbs that you can take. Um and it's actually really big in uh queer community to have both parents involved in uh caring oh. and having that physical experience because if you have a gestational carrier, uh somebody might have that full experience and then their partner might really want to connect with right. their um their babies in like a body feeding way. So then they'll stimulate uh, milk production uh, in their body, but it's a whole thing. But um, breast milk is also produced in the body on a supply and demand basis. So once you're feeding, like you start off by taking the medication and taking the drugs to stimulate um, breast milk production or body milk production. And then uh, you get into this really cool level of feeding with your baby and your baby is telling your body how much they want. And then your body is making as much as they want. And, uh, it can kind of go on that way. So if there's not a baby present, then you can pump and you can stimulate, uh, breasts and do nipple stimulation for that too, and create, uh, body milk. And, and do supplements or like herbs, like, is that, is that require, is that a requirement or it can be just done fully naturally? It can be done. 
Uh, it would be really tiring. Like I'm talking about like like, constant, constant. Yeah. Because when you're feeding a baby, it, the recommendation is every two to three hours, uh, when they're infants and you would have to do that more to even stimulate the production. Yeah. Yeah. 24 hours a day. Yeah. Cause I was going to say that. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. I don't think I have it in my calendar to like, have. (laughs) I would love it. I think that'd be really fun. Mm Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that was possible at all. Yeah. I'll tell you, my my thought was wet nurses must have their own infant babies that they right. breastfeed. That's, yeah, I, that's, that's so. So to really touch base, like briefly on wet nursing, um, it has really intense racist undertones because what it was born from was okay. uh, through slavery and having, uh, yeah, yeah, black folks who were caring for all of the offspring. Um, yeah. By their owners and all the, yes they did have their own babies themselves and then they were feeding uh their like the other children that they were caring for right um so now at <clears throat> this point we yeah there's like ways to do that without having a baby present but it was definitely born from that as well wow so interesting do, is it yeah. like using the term wet nursing is that a thing that happens or is that only refer to a time in history when yeah I think at this time it's like it's more in reference and we can call it body feeding or even tandem feeding yeah yeah yeah. tandem feeding super fascinating so so given all of that then like the science behind stimulating the breasts in order to like stimulating the body in order to produce this milk Mm -hmm. does that essentially mean that you could be producing milk for as long as you saw fit, as yep. long as the as long as the measures were being taken to continue to give the body the signs that this milk needs to be pumping. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Wow. You could do it. Uh, so the medication wow. that folks take uh, to stimulate breast milk production or body milk production uh, wasn't actually meant for creating uh, body milk. It was meant <laughs> for, I'm trying to remember, it was like given to older population, I think for like stomach issues and like ulcers. Right, right. <laughs> and uh, part of the uh, secondary effects was that it was creating breast lactation, milk and yeah. yeah, in their, in their tissue. <laughs> and uh, they're like, no, no, thank you. Yeah. That's not what I'm into. Well, that's like, uh, so, that's like Viagra. Viagra yeah. was not, was, was right. typically meant for, uh, I think it was for uh, heart issues. Yeah. And, and people were taken, they were like, I've got a raging boner <laughs> yeah. and it won't go away. What the fuck did you give me? Science. Yeah. They're like, Crazy oh. stuff. Make a lot of money off this one. Uh, very cool. Well, Sarah, this has been highly fascinating. So fun. Always, always a pleasure to to talk to you. Yeah, um, thanks for having and, me. And so glad that you're going down this route of of, of midwifery. Um, and uh, and we're really excited for you to to embark on this on this journey and and bring so much um, care and much needed and education to, and education to to your your clients in the future. I think. I think Canada has um, has is on its way to getting a very valuable uh, member of its community uh, based on the work that you do, and so we're 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 so excited for you, and thank oh, you for thank coming you. on the show to share all this with us and and give us a little bit of education um, on all the things that we were so curious about but didn't really have the answers for. 
Yeah, thanks for having me because it's something that I am absolutely in love with uh, doing. And I also love talking to people about it. I'm really not cool to have at parties because I bring up placentas too often. Yeah. But, uh, That's my kind of party. I'm so, in. Yeah. I, invite me to those parties. You pull out a cooler and you're like, I brought a few yeah. examples. Check out this, Some samples. this vacuum sealed bag I have. Yeah, I'll admit that I have accidentally sent uh, like accidental placenta pics to the folks. <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah, I'm that friend, but... Yeah, thank you for having me uh, on the show, folks. This has been really fun. Hello. Hello. Um... Isn't Sarah just... I learned things. Yeah, me too. I learned things and I'm always so grateful when we have a guest who is... I like the word generous mm. um, to describe uh, guests like Sarah who who are there to talk about something that they're passionate about but casually make very... I don't even know if Sarah would say that they did this, but gentle corrections... Mm-hmm. Yeah. That uh, that really kind of, um, you know, will change the way I speak about things. I love placenta forever. talk. You like placenta talk. Yeah, I mean, we've been talking about it on the on Sick Boy a lot too. <clears throat> the placenta just and just how like fascinating it is, and um, yeah, yeah, and just like with like <clears throat> actually, we had a we had a, a listener of Sick Boy write in to tell us about because we've been talking about the placenta and they wrote in to tell us about um, different cultures and what they do with the placenta. And there's a, there was, she had told us about this story about a a culture somewhere in Africa. Tay, was that Africa? Do you remember? About hanging the placenta? Oh, cool. So, so yeah, there was this, this doctor who works with, um, works with like doctors across borders, whatever it is. And they were doing a, you know, a stint in this small uh, country in Africa. And I, I, I should know, we just recorded it, I forget. I think but, there's a lot of countries. Aren't there a lot of yeah, are yeah, yeah. countries or provinces? Uh, no, countries. Okay. Af- Africa, the continent, countries in Africa. Right. <clears throat> and uh, there's a country in Africa that this, this doctor, uh, doctor was working and they gave birth to a baby and they were trying to explain to this doctor like, what they do with the placenta and, and she didn't really know what they were like trying to communicate. So they walked her out um, kind of like to the, the outskirts of the town and they had a tree and what they do is they hang all of the placentas off this tree. And one of the reasons behind this is because they don't bury it due to fears of like contaminating the water that they have. And, and uh, but instead they hang it in this tree as like a sign of, uh, it's like the tree of life, essentially, for this like community. And I just, I don't know. I just, I, I think it's so. I, all I can picture is like vultures. You yeah, know, maybe. You think it would provide a lot yeah. of nutrition and food yeah. for wildlife. Yeah, vulture would be pretty stoked about that. Hey, donut, think... don't eat the bed, dude. Don't eat the dog bed. Okay. Thank you. I think he understood. For a second. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, Sarah, great guest, uh, loved that. It was a really, uh, really lovely conversation. And 
Sarah's one of those people that like I if I'm ever if I'm ever in Ontario, I yeah. hope to just shoot a message and be like, yo, do you want to hang out? You like, said that the first time we recorded with Sarah. I you, know. I yeah. Know. It's really funny. Yeah. Um okay, before we I feel like I'm getting the sense you're going to move on yeah. from this subject. But yeah. I want I wanna I want to highlight the things that I learned from Sarah before we okay. move yeah. away. So um like you were just saying, I, uh, identifying what different cultures will do with the placenta. Um, I, I, I mentioned in our conversation the bur- the burying of the placenta. Yeah, and that's something I've heard a lot about. Had no idea it had anything to do with indigenous people. Yeah, and yeah. their practices, but yeah. I had heard that, so that was one thing that I learned. That was cool. Um, another thing that I picked up, and I don't even think Sarah said anything about this but just their use of the of the term um body feeding instead of breastfeeding Ooh, yeah right because for obvious reasons i don't think we need to explain on the podcast there are people without breast tissue that may be breastfeeding because sure you know um and then um tandem breastfeeding in place of wet nursing so wet nursing turns out has some pretty racist uh like origins i yeah, guess yeah. um and i just did like l- literally no research but found this on the um aclu.org uh website which i'm i'm going to assume is a, f- a fairly reputable source that's the american civil liberties union um dot org and they have a an article that I pulled up from August 2019 called The Challenges of Breastfeeding as a Black Person. And definitely worth a, a read. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but just a couple of points that um, that I, I will I will read. So, you know, whether or not you breastfeed or, 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 or whatever, there's lots of reasons why you may choose to breastfeed or not not breastfeed. Sure. Um, uh, but there is a relatively low breastfeeding rate for black people. And, um, this article suggests that it is a product of systemic racism that contributes, uh, to the overall poor black maternal and infant health outcomes. It says to name a few black people experience the highest maternal mortality rate, the Hmm. highest infant mortality rate, one of the highest teen pregnancy rates and the lowest rate of contraception use, which we all know is tied to education as well. Hmm. Um, and, I thought that was a really interesting, you know, we don't tend to think of birthing necessarily as having a high mortality rate these, these days, yeah, right, right, right. but that's, it still is a very, it yeah. still is a thing. It's yeah. always been dangerous for women to carry uh, a pregnancy to term. Um, so those are some interesting facts. And, uh, and then a little further onto the point about breastfeeding, um, it, this article says society has sexualized breasts to the point that people are routinely shamed for breastfeeding. Compounding this is the fact that black bodies have been historically over-sexualized and degraded. The perception of black women as sexually promiscuous by nature is a persistent stereotype that negatively impacts the sexual health and rights of black women. And additionally, the traumatic history of black women during and after slavery as wet nurses for white women means that for some breastfeeding is associated with a lack of choice. Mm. Um, This history contributes to whether black people have the societal and social support to initiate and sustain breastfeeding. So I would, I'll link that um, article if you're interested in reading more um, in the show notes, uh, 
just really interesting yeah. food food for thought. Totally, yeah. Yeah, maybe something we, we can cover in the show in, in the future. So uh so we we maybe are phasing out the term wet nursing and replacing it with tandem um breast or tandem body feeding, which just which is similar the same thing. It's like maybe you have your own baby and you're mm. um mm-hmm. you know, tandem feeding another baby. Yeah. Um so anyway, that's all I wanted to say about that. Breastfeeding. Breastfeeding, <clears throat> body feeding. Yeah. I could use a good breastfeeding right now, I think. <laughs> I need the latch. Interesting that and like that you can stimulate milk. Yeah. I had no idea. I know, me neither. That's fucking wild. Maybe that's something you could could work on. Um, in your downtime, Lacta- myself lactating? Yeah, why not? No, I don't think it works like that. Oh, I think. I no? think it's uh, no. I think that's only people with uteruses that can pull that off. Oh, I thought it was anything with nipples. No, I could be wrong, but I don't think that's going to require some further study. <laughs> Get down, donut. <laughs> um, yeah, that. So, uh, thank you, Sarah. Thanks for being such a wonderful guest. We really <laughs> loved it. Um, listen, I'm, I'm going to get this off my chest because I, I haven't had a chance to talk about it, but I'm, I just went through a uh, breakup <sighs> and, uh, man, it's just so like, it's so fucking uh, shitty. Can, yeah, can I, anyone listening, like if you've got fucking breakup tips on how to not, um, so crazy man i'm just like i'm so sad i'm so sad perpetually sad yeah and like even the days where i'm like this is a good day it's it's just not a good day you know and it's pretty fresh it is it's fairly fresh like a week yeah less than a week yeah and uh a a little over that um yeah and i just like it's it's so interesting because like it's it's one of those things where i've been noticing especially like as of late especially since covid like when things feel tough or when there's like mental health strain that it's a lot harder to bounce back than it, than it used to be when I was, I don't know, when I was like younger, when I was more, when I felt more resilient. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. It is very much like a hangover. It just gets worse and worse. (laughs) And I'm just like, yeah, I just feel like I'm going through a bit of a, just a rough patch. Like I said, to you, I jokingly said to you earlier, but like I got, I, I, you know, broke up out of this relationship and, and my, my first instinct was, <laughs> my first instinct was like, well, get a mullet. I'm going to get a mullet. I'm going to start growing a mullet. <laughs> like what the fuck is that? Honestly, I think breakups and hair are really connected because the amount of times, I mean, we, we, we were just talking about this in a recording earlier that we did today that, breakups can do a lot of things to your personality yeah. in terms of, you know, what do you need to yell at? Don't Taylor, can you, can you just take, can you take that bed away from him? No. He's eating the bed. Donut. You're going to ruin your bowels, dude. Something tells me Sorry, that folks. he's also feeling lonely. He most certainly is. Yeah. And, that, and honestly, that was one of the, that was one of the hardest parts about the breakup. Um, and, you know, <sighs> Donut loved, Donut loved Leah. And, and I even notice it. Like I notice him just being like a little more, I don't know. Maybe, I I'm, notice maybe it. I'm projecting it. But I'm like, not, you're not projecting it because I, you know, I haven't hung out with Donut much since then. But even today I like, 
he's different with me. Yeah. And I don't know if it's just because he's not, he hasn't had the female energy around in a bit. Yeah. Um, but and he probably also feel like he definitely feels my sadness. Like yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm just moping around fucking everywhere I go. So anyway, it's hard. It's fucking hard, man. And like, and the other thing that I'm, that I'm struggling with is like, so through this entire process, you know, all the hard parts aside from a breakup, which is always fucking hard, but like it there, I think every time we lose a relationship, every time you break up with someone, like there's a lot of self-reflection and a lot of like learning that comes with that. And I think I've already known this about myself, but like it really is hitting home hardcore right now that like I definitely have some like codependency issues, you know, and which is something that I need to deal with like stat. And in thinking about that, in thinking about like what that means for me and like how to approach that, I'm, you know, I'm like, well, what, like, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do to like mitigate that and explore that without, without, without doing any further damage? And like, so that the next time I come into a relationship, I don't, I'm not bringing baggage with me and, Mm -hmm. and kind of moving forward in like a productive way. And <clears throat> I've been, and I don't know what the the answer to that is, but one thing that's come up a lot in terms of just like thought and my thought process is like, and this is not something I've ever identified with, but we've talked to people on the show before and I would like to get a guest on to talk about it a little further. So again, letters at, or no, that's sick, uh, turn me on podcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. If this is someone, if you are someone that feels like you would be good to talk to you. Yeah. Um, but the, like just exploring the notion of solo poly for yeah. a little while, you know, like to, yeah. to really kind of hone in on like, okay, what are the, like just being selfish for the next little while, really focusing on like the things that I need to, to be, to feel satiated and to feel happy, but like also placing like an importance on my own like independence yeah. in that. Um, but then even then, even saying that, like, I, there's this other part of me that's like, oh man, I, I feel like that inherently there's a lot of work. Yeah. There's going to be some work with there. that, yeah. you know, like, um, and I, and I, and work in work in, in, in the sense of like time management and, you know, like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, uh, and observing, I think your own, I think if you are going to do some reflection, I think there's some observing of your own, like the red flags of codependency, you know, like let's say you start dating someone and like you start having feelings for someone. It can move really quickly from that into being like, I don't need anybody else. I'll just be with you. And then eventually that wears off and you're like, Oh no, what did, what did I set myself up for? I didn't set myself up the way that I know myself to be when I'm not, in a state of infatuation. Yeah. And. But that's the thing is that, that I want that. You want the like state that's of infatuation. The, yes. That is the thing I want. I just want, I just want, I just want love. I just want like real intense, like full on love. And. You, you know, know like, that intense is, it's not intense is not sustainable. I know that intent. Uh, no, no, I know that. I know. I, I know intense is sustainable. Intense isn't the right word, 
I want, um, God damn it, Donut. It's fine. It's fine. You're driving me up a fucking wall, dude. Can you just pick up that fucking bowl? No, he. No, he, he, no. What's happening here is he's, he's, he's saying fill the bowl for me, but you don't need water, dude. You're okay. God damn it. I love you so much. And sometimes I just want to pick you up and just bite your ears off. Um, yeah, I just want love, man. I just want like, I just want sustainable love. That's what I want. Well, don't forget that you have me. And I know that the last time you went through a breakup, I got to spend so much more time with you. And that was like a major bonus. And then when you got into back into a relationship, that's where I started. I got less of you. And that was, (laughs) I was like kind of anticipating that. But, you know, earlier today when we were talking, you're like, I just want partnership. Don't forget about me. No. And okay, I'm glad you brought that up. But I hope you know what I mean when I say that. Like, I, I'm not disc, discounting our partnership. Yeah. But the things that, are, like, yeah. in, in terms of the umbrella of, like, relationship anarchy. And needs. And needs. Yeah. Like, I want partnership. You know, I want to live. I want. I do want to live with someone. Yeah. I want to live in the same place as someone. You I do, wa- eh? Because yes. you were really enjoying the solo. I do. I love thing. it. I do love it. And you know what? Let me. Okay. Let me even rewind on that. I don't necessarily need to live with someone. But I do want to be in a position where. At any point, if I or we want, we can choose to just stay in the same place for as long as we fucking want. Like, I want to I want to go to bed with someone. I want to wake up next to someone. I want to feel like I can, you know, um, like as much as we have a uh, an intimate partnership, there's the the lack of physical intimacy that we have like that's that is a void that that i i can i can see and feel that i want filled and and i want that filled with someone that i know that like i i can find joy with and and share experiences with and not to say that we can't share experiences or anything like that but like you know, when you, when, when this, we're done recording tonight, you're going to go back to your house and you have Todd there and, and like, there's this, there's this consistency and this, this knowing that that person is there mm-hmm. when you get home to do whatever. And, and I just, yeah, I just, I, I want that. And I feel like, you know, this, this relationship that I, that I'm, that I have left, there were, it was, you know, there's a lot of ups and downs, a lot of downs, and it was a, it was a real struggle. And, um, you know, like I don't know, I've I've ne- I've never been I've never been so um, I've never been so deeply in love in a position where I know that love can't work. Mm. And that's the hardest part about it. I bet that just hit a lot of people. It hit me. And I feel like I feel that's going to hit some people. And I want, I want that same feeling that I had, like that deep, like that deep desire for love to work. But I want, but I, but I want it to fucking work. You want it to work. I want it to work. You know, and so and like the the whole notion of like solo poly, uh, although like maybe there's 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 aspects of that that I think they would be really great 
and like healthy for me. The there's another aspect there that feels like. I'll, all right, I'll put it this way. <clears throat> when I was in high school, um, it's funny. I just said this to the guys like briefly the other day. But when I was in junior high, I was kind of a dick. Like I was a little bit of a bully. I was a little bit of like an asshole, like doing things that I thought I should do just to like fit in. And and if that if that came at the cost of like putting another person down, like I, I wouldn't hesitate. And then in my last year of junior high, um, there was a there was a young girl who was going through a really hard time. I think she like maybe she lost her dad or something. I don't quite remember fully what it was, but she had gone through something that was like really hard. And she was one of these people that like I had in the past, like tagged on the, the sort of like shit on this person train with on the bus. Right. And the bus, the bus, the word, which is the word I know, I know. So, so this thing happened and I could see this person was hurting and for whatever reason they chose to confide in me. And in that moment, I, I remember thinking, like, it's weird that you're confiding in me because, like, I've kind of been a piece of shit to you. Um, and I started to realize that, like, oh, you are, you are, just, you are just a person. And, and all the things that I have done to you or that I've been, like, a, a part of that has, like, harmed you, um, none of that was fair. And you're just like me. And we're all just trying to fit in. And we're all trying to figure this out. And, like, and I had a lot of, like, it wasn't shame. It was like, it was like, Oh, I'm, I now realize that I was not, I was not doing the okay thing. And so I need to change who I am as a person and I need to be much kinder as, as I go forward. And it was a really beautiful learning experience. And so then, you know, graduating high school, you go to a new school, at least that's how it works here. Like you, you, you finish junior high in grade nine, you go to a new school and all these junior highs feed into this one school. So there's a bunch of new kids. And it was kind of like this moment to go, all right, cool. I can reset. I can be whoever I want. And I'm going to like kindness first. Like that's my, my main thing. And that's why I love you. And the, the thing was is that a lot of my friend group, my natural friend group was like the, was the popular kids. You know, I like, I just, I naturally fit in with those popular kids. And of course in high school, you know, we're all still sh- fucking shithead kids. Those, that group of popular kids are, you know, it's like Mean Girls. You watch Mean Girls. It's like clicky, kind of like you you create enemies. You don't like the fucking kids that smoke because they're too weird and dark. And the the they smell funny. The the drama nerds and the fucking <laughs> music nerds are are too awkward and you know fuck them. And, and then you've got the like the jocks and like the popular kids and they kind of shit on all those other people. And I was like, no, 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 like, fuck all that. I can, I can do this. I can be friends with the popular kids, but I can also, I'm a drama nerd. I can be just as nerdy as all the rest of them. And, 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 you know, the, the kid with Asperger's that gets shit on all the time, like, why not be kind to this, this guy, you know? And, and so I, what happened in high school is I, I became, I became friends with everyone, but in becoming friends with everyone, I was never really close with mm. anyone. Mm-hmm. There was like two people that I was like, all right, like we're brothers. Like we are really, really close. And then of course, like that trend kind of stayed with me as I grew up. And so I end up making these friendships that are 
that are great. And I, I love all my friends. I think I've, I, all my friends are fucking amazing and I have different friends from different backgrounds. And, but I think because of the way that I developed friendships, there's like, it's sprink, it's like sprinkles of friends that I would call close friends, but like, I'll never really be the best man at anyone's wedding. Right. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is because I'm no one's best friend. I'm just everyone's friend. But also your cool friends aren't getting married. Right. Sure. Of course. <laughs> but like, like neither here nor there that it's the, the, the fact is that that is that that's sort of the, that's sort of the, that is the, the cost of being that type of friend mm-hmm. is that you spread yourself out enough that you're not really considered like the close, close, close friend to, to really anyone. You're just a good friend to everyone. And so this thought of like solo poly, I kind of feel like, like maybe that is, maybe that's this, the, the sort of same kind of scenario in that setup where you put yourself out there and you're close with these people and you develop these relationships, but like, you're never really like, it's never really that deep, you know? I, I, I don't know. Maybe. And again, this is why someone who's like, who is actively solo poly and, and partakes in that, it would be good to talk to you because um, I don't, that's not something I want. I don't mm-hmm. want that. No. You know, I, I want, even though I want my relationships to be meaningful, like I, I don't know. I, 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 I again, look, I, all of this is very new and I'm still trying to work it all out. So like if anyone's listening going like, what the fuck are you talking about? I, I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and um, I'm just trying to sort it all out in my head, but. I hear what you're saying, uh, particularly around the point of like knowing someone's going to be home when you get there. Yeah. That doesn't seem like an assurance that you get as a solo poly person. Um, And the benefits of being a solo poly just to that one point are like, yeah, you get to have your own space. You get to invite someone into it. You also get to go to their space and you don't have to be in each other's hair all the time. Um, but I'm willing to bet there are other people who consider themselves solo poly who, you know, like imagine adding another person to this scenario that you and I have that is also identifies as poly, um, because Leah did not and imagine them, you know, having one other significant person so maybe they're not always there but they're still around for you a Mm. lot the level of intimacy that you can reach with someone has nothing to do with how many other significant relationships they have in their life and you know i used to really struggle with the similar feeling of like i had like one person in high school maybe two that i considered myself actually quite close with and I had a complex about that for a lot of my 20s, feeling like I don't have a big circle of friends that I can or someone I can like turn to 24 hours a day. Like there's not someone like I can't always get to a close friend. Yeah. But now that I'm turning 38 in a couple of days uh, and I still have that one friend, two friends from high school mm. that I weirdly consider best friends even though i may only see them once every five to ten years yeah 
And if I don't see them, I may only have a meaningful conversation with them once every one to two years. Those are people that I still consider to hold the most intimate parts of, of myself. And so, you know, that they, that friend to all, but like close friend to none might be a little bit of an illusion because I'm willing to bet those, the people that you identified as like a brother are still those people that you could call in your darkest hour. No, it's true. And they would show up for you. Yep. You're right. I think, you know, a lot of the way we've talked about this a lot on the show, like society puts a lot of emphasis on the romantic partner that you have being like the goal of life, you know, find that person, find that partnership. Mm. But it also devalues our friendships or other types of intimate and close relationships. And as a result, I think we really lose out. Like, you know, I want my mother who is however many years older than me to be, remain one of the closest relationships in my life. Yeah. I'm, you know, you're going to remain one of the closest relationships in my life for all time. Uh, and then, newer people in my life yeah. i'm sure in 20 years i'll be like huh you've become one of the most important people to me and those those relationships are really important and forming all the time and they don't have to be the person that you get to cuddle with at the end of the night or you know have sex with at the end of the night like when it comes to the deepest parts of you those those relationships are outlets for the kind of love yeah. that you have to give right now and no place to necessarily yeah. Not no place. You have the places to invest that. And 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 maybe instead of thinking like, oh, I got to date around and and find substitutes for that, you can use this time that you intend to do some reflection on in looking at how you give and invest in your intimate relationships yeah. that aren't romantic. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I I think I think the other thing I'm struggling with too is like this notion of like one thing that I most certainly need to do as I as I move into any new relationships is like um is not settling for anything but anything but the best. Not the, not perfect, but the best. Cuz there's no one is perfect and there is no perfect like duo. Um and that that's really that's a daunting idea, you know, like well, Twitter patient will turn make you blind to a lot know, you can turn the blinders know, know, on know. to a lot of things yeah and i and and i'm and and Twitter patient is like my go to like i get i i i notoriously fall really hard and fast, mm-hmm. and like you like i last night i went out i went out to uh, i've been going to i've been going to a bar to like read um to be on display, you mean. No, not at all. Like this, so so you know, as as soon as as soon as the breakup happened, I was talking to an old friend uh, about it, and this person is also single, and um, and I I think I value I really value the way that this person like kind of goes about living their life in terms of like focusing on self-care and not like mm-hmm. not just settling for anything and one of the things that she said to me was like you know um she was just like what are the things that bring you joy and and like what are the things that bring you joy 
that are just for you and that you know for a fact that you just aren't doing you know and for her she was like for me it's 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 like lighting candles and reading for an hour in bed every night before i go to sleep and i was like yeah you know like i i don't like i haven't been finding time to, i do i really enjoy reading and i haven't been finding time to read and so there's this there's this uh, comic book that I, I adore and i have this compendium it's just been sitting on my fucking bookshelf for forever and i've been meaning to get around to rereading the whole thing and so i was like all right fuck it i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna every day i'm gonna read this book and so every day i just popped across the street to this bar sat at the bar and start reading um and it's been really nice um and then of course you know there's this person that works at the bar and like i immediately have this crush and <laughs> and and then you know and, and so i and i don't know how to like and i see myself going i i see myself i see myself even with this crush going all right like what do i what do I got to do? I got to like, this is the person I got to be with for the rest of my life. Like it's like crazy fucking like immediate again, the Twitter patient of just going like, well, my God, this person is, how do I make this person my own? Yeah, 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 exactly. (laughs) Right. So like I, that is my, that's, I know that that's my fault and that's the thing that I fall into, um, for, for better or for worse, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely not the worst thing in the world, but it's, but in it historically has not panned out to, to kind of like go that way. So I'm, I'm really trying to like keep that in front of mind of going, okay, okay. Like just gauge what you're thinking here and like hold, hold on and slow down and don't, don't rush into anything. But, but again, I think a lot of that comes from this, like this, the whole fucking way I've just chosen to live my life, you know, like even you and I like getting married. You know, it's like, you don't have time, dude. Fucking chop, chop. Like, yeah. make it happen now. You're running out of time. Don't squander your time. Um, yeah, I, I guess I just, I, I need to like, I need to filter that a little bit. I need to filter that a little bit and be a little more conscientious of that energy and. Not to relate everything back to acting, but I feel like act, we do that act, a lot. Act, act. Okay. Every time you hear Jeremy do that on the podcast, which is like guaranteed nobody else gets it. Um, (laughs) There's this great little web series that came out of Prince Edward Island, which is the island that I'm from, tiny little island that I'm from. And uh, this little group of actors got together and made a series during COVID because the local stations, television stations, could, didn't have any sports to air. So they were like, let's give a bunch of money to artists to make content. And they gave the, these artists some content money and they made this, uh, they made this web series about a theater troupe, um, a community theater troupe and that's the reference it's from. It's called, do you remember what it's called? The community players. You might be able to find it on YouTube. You should definitely look it I up. My mom's can, in it. It's very funny. Um, and act, that's what it's from. Act, act, act. Um, <laughs> but not to throw everything back to acting, but there was that, there is that concept of, you know, you're in an, an emotional state while you're acting. You might be engaged in a scene where the emotions are high and it, for a lot of people, uh, actors, you might disappear. You might lose yourself in the moment mm-hmm. and get swept away. Yeah. But there's that whole 
perspective piece where a part of you needs to be engaged in the emotion, in the action, but another part of you has to be zoomed out and being, this isn't all, this isn't real. This is a, even though your body is going through the chemical reactions of the emotions of the scene. The Heath Ledger thing. There has to be a part of you that's outside going, this is all make-believe. This is all, so maybe with that, you know, that Twitter patient thing, there has to be that part (laughs) of you that goes, Aha, this is the influence of love. That's yeah. This is the influence of infatuation that's coming in. Yeah. And I will not lose myself to it. I can enjoy it and participate, but I do not have to lose touch with yeah. the, what's going to be left over when that infatuation uh, energy wears off. Because yeah. sustainable love can't just be the passion no. at the beginning. Yeah, uh, yeah, and and the thing I'm also kind of like realizing and struggling with is like I I'm inherently lazy in all aspects of life, and even when it comes to dating, you know, like I'm lazy in the sense that I don't want I don't want to like I don't want to sift through like the fucking fucking dating apps, you know. It's like I don't I don't want to have to put in the time to seek. I just want the thing, I just want the thing to fall in my lap. I just don't want to like, I don't want to go on dates and go, well, that wasn't, that, that wasn't love. That that didn't work. (laughs) You know, like, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. I just, I don't want to like. Just remember. But I, and I, and I know that that's not reality. I know that that doesn't happen like that. I know that the, you know, the perfect person is going to come along and just swipe me, sweep me off my feet. I know that. But I still want that. I it just, could happen. It could, it's not out it of the. Could. It's out not, of, no. Someone cute could sit. That's down what, ha- next that's to what happened with Lee and I. It there was you like I, you know I was like oh here we go going like going on another date and then all of a sudden I was like holy fuck yeah you know and it hit me like a ton of bricks. But, but it's you know with COVID and stuff it's hard it's hard it's a hard time to find love. So you tell yourself whatever you want to tell yourself, but. The way that your life has unfolded so far yeah. would lead me to believe that it will happen. I gotta get back. I gotta get back into the belief of the secret. Yeah, right. Which Let's it's revisit total that, bullshit. That movie. It's total fucking bullshit. But big but when I watched that movie when I was like fucking nineteen mm-hmm. or whatever I was, mm-hmm. I I was like. I knew I, I I watched the movie and I went, this is fucking dumb, because um, that's not how the world works. Like you're not you don't just like you don't just write on a fucking sticky note like I want to make a million dollars and stick it on your fridge and look at it every day and then all of a sudden a million dollars just pops up in your mm-hmm. bank account. That's not how it works. But there the witchy part of me, you know, the part of me that like that that does have some semblance of like belief that, that, you know, you put it out into the universe and the universe gives back. Which, what the fuck does that even mean? It's so dumb. But, but I like, I used to, I, there was a time in my life where I was like, I know it's dumb, but I'm going to just, it's placebo effect. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to believe it so that my worldview accepts that as a reality. And of course, when that was, when that was a part of my reality, all the things, all it was, I was rich. I was so rich, not monetarily. I've never been monetarily rich. I've been fucking poor as shit, but 
life rich, like, and, and that life, that richness came from that mentality. And, and so I guess I'm like, because I feel, I do, I feel depressed. Like I feel like I'm in a bit bit of a state of depression. It's hard to like, it's hard to kind of kickstart that spark plug is not, is not working. And that's okay. Yeah. There's a period of time where, where that's a reasonable, and not to say that everything needs to be reasonable, but you, you should allow that process. Yeah. Um, but I do, and you know, all jokes aside about the secret and everything, like secret. we, everything shit's chaotic, it is. and 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 also in all that chaos, the f- very fact that our our atoms assembled to form your human body yeah. and your personality is fucking magic. Yeah, and so there is, you know, what you did when you tried that on with the with the secret way back when is you just put on you put on a particular perspective which is things will work out for me yeah and when you have that perspective what you see is things working out for you if you when you have when you approach the world with the filter of nothing works out for me what you're going to see is proof that nothing works out for you mm. and so I really think, you know, as woo-woo as it may be, and as, and maybe, I don't know, listeners, correct me if I'm wrong, if this is just like a super privileged perspective to say, but, you know, there's a reason they that neuroscientists say that gratitude is one of the best things you can do, yeah, or, yeah. you know, a gratitude practice is one of the best things you can do for shifting mood states, then th- th- there is something to the way you use those neurons, you know, in your brain, like, what do you want to see? Yeah. And again, like listeners, correct me if I'm wrong. Cause maybe that's, there's a lot of people for whom you can't just hand that. You just think your way out of hunger or poverty or abuse or sure, whatever. Yeah. You know? but yeah. Okay. Yes. But like, that doesn't, that, yes, I agree. But also that doesn't take away from the fact that it actually really works for some people. Mm-hmm. You know? I don't know. There is, there is something to what you expect and what you believe will happen for you yeah. is more likely to come true than, um, you know, so what are you expecting? What are you believing? What, what's, what are you creating? Yeah, well, I'm creating that my crush at the bar will break up with her boyfriend and see me. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. Um, yeah. Anyway, I um, yeah. Reach out, send us your tips and your advice for breaking up and solo yeah. poly and all those things you you pulled through last time. We got some really good messages last time you were going through something like this, and yeah. uh, it was really helpful. So. You're sitting there thinking, I don't know if what I have to say is going to be of any use. You know, just believe it will be and send it to us. Turn me on podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. And I, and I'm, I'm really trying not to like fall into this trap, but like there is, there's this other part of me that's like, um, ah, maybe I shouldn't even like say it and give it energy, but this other part of me that like kind of like pulling back, looking at the last years and going oh like maybe you're just not you know maybe you're just not fit to love like maybe you're just not lovable mm. i know that's not true i know that's not true definitely not true 
but goddamn, it's hard not to fall into that when you feel like, you know, it's like two really major, major heartbreaks in two years. Like that's a, that's three really, if you consider like the amount of breakups, but anyway, whatever that's anyway, you're um, one of the most lovable people I know. Some would disagree. <laughs> Some would. Some would disagree. But a lot, most of those yeah. people don't no, know no. you yeah. the way that people who love you know you. Uh, here's a crazy story. A woman with two vaginas says she uses one for work and one for personal sex. <laughs> <laughs> I love this on a like a tax note. I'm like, what are your work expenses? What are your personal expenses? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, bringing a whole new meaning to not mixing work with pleasure. This OnlyFans star has shared what it's like to have two vaginas where she uses one for pe- one professionally and one for personal sex. Um, her name is Evelyn Miller, and she didn't find out until the age of 20 that she had been born with two vaginas and two wombs. Oh, wow. Yeah. So she's 31 years old. She's from Australia. And she began working in the sex industry after a relationship breakdown. <clears throat> and made sure that she kept one vagina for use for her work and one for her personal life, which seemed rather efficient. She explained, quote, I work as an independent escort. I worked as an independent escort for seven years traveling around the world. I was, un- I was able to use one vagina for work and one vagina for my personal life, which made the work a lot easier emotionally and physically for me. After stopping doing that, she moved over to OnlyFans and began creating adult content, which earned her a whopping $75,000 US dollar. Wait, does she just not know she also has a butthole and she's calling that a second vagina? <laughs> no, no, she really does have two vaginas and, and I'm assuming a butthole too. She was making seventy five grand a year, or sorry, a month. Wild. Evelyn put her success down to having two vaginas, but says there are plenty of downfalls that she has to think about doing uh due to having them double yeast infections yeah they include putting two tampons in when she has her period <gasps> whoa both wombs have yeah. a pe- have a period yep uh, whoa. both vaginas have to get tested for stds um and even where her partner can ejaculate while they're having sex um speaking about ejaculation she explained quote theoretically i can carry two babies at once if i wanted but, but fathered by different yep. humans. Yeah. <laughs> but it would be really hard for my body. So we have to be yeah. careful about that uh, yeah. in that sense. Sex in each vagina feels very, very different. I prefer one side, but it depends on the position and shape of the guy as to which one I choose to have sex one in. One side. So that would indicate that they are adjacent to one another. I guess. As like, opposed to like one more anterior and one more posterior. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I could find her OnlyFans. We could business expense it so we could find <laughs> out. Um, uh, having two vaginas has made my sex life a lot of fun. We can have sex in one side and use a toy in the other. Mm-hmm. And there are all sorts of positions and things I can try. Uh, they both feel very different so to me. So I've been finding out what I like and what I don't like on each side. As she continued, quote, I don't wish that I only had one vagina. Having two has made my sex life a lot more fun. And I think it's important to embrace all bodies. We can all be so different. Uh, Evelyn explained how after visiting the doctor for pregnancy termination at the age of 20, she was surprised to find out about her two vaginas. She didn't even know. The The splitting of her reproductive system meant that carrying a pregnancy full term would be risky as each of her wombs 
is half the size of an average woman's uh. and there was the risk that the space being too small for the baby to grow. She decided at the stage, at, at that stage, to continue with her abortion despite medics uh, who tried to pressure into keeping the baby. Because they this, were fucking curious. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Uh, working in the sex industry, Evelyn uh, concentrated on the benefits of her two vaginas, an increase in interest and income until her, she and her fiancé, Tom, discovered that she was once again pregnant. She said, I always knew something was wrong with me. I couldn't use, get tampons to work. I would use a tampon and would still bleed. When I was 14, I got my period. There wasn't access to internet like there is now, and I live on a farm and just with my dad at that point. Oh. Then I had a pregnancy termination when I was 20, and in the hospital after the procedure, I was told they couldn't find the embryo. <gasps> After an internal exam, they realized it was my other uterus, which I did not know I even had. It was a relief to finally discover why everything felt different. When I started having sex, it always felt different to me every time. And it, was until, it wasn't until this termination procedure that I finally found out what was wrong. So what I think is happening here is she has one vaginal opening with two vaginal canals. That is fucking wild. Like a duck. Right, I see. So like one entry point. Yes. But then it deviates two on the inside. Tunnels. Yeah, exactly. But how do they use one for work and one for play? One can't have a toy in it if they have, and one have a other thing in it if there's only one opening. Well, I mean, vaginas can fit quite a bit. You ever see two dicks in a vagina? Yeah, no, actually. Yeah, that's the thing. Okay, sure. Um, after explaining how she can't give birth vaginally, she went on to add, quote, the C-section experience wasn't as magical as I thought. I'm thankful that I had a great procedure and nothing went wrong, but I didn't love the feeling of pulling. Wait, so she did have a baby? Yeah. By cesarean section. I had my baby at 37 weeks in June 2021, a healthy little boy, uh, though he weighed 5.5 pounds because he was growth restricted uh, in my small uterus. And she's now pregnant again in her right side. And says that medics will be monitoring her with a C-section plan for 36 weeks. Wow. You know, I wonder if she was a twin in the womb, in Ooh. her mother's womb. And then... Right. Ate, up, that, ate that, up the twins. That can happen. But you did that, didn't you? I did that, but I, I only have one vagina. <laughs> I think it might... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what my twin... But you have two buttholes, one in your armpit. Yeah. That's weird. But we don't talk about that. That's why I let my armpit hair grow. And <laughs> Isn't that wild? That's really, really wild. I can't imagine at 20 going in for an abortion and coming out with two vaginas <laughs> or knowledge of two vaginas. Right? That, that's pretty earth shattering to learn 20 years into your life, I would imagine. Really hard um, to find her OnlyFans. I'm, I'm trying to find her OnlyFans, but... It's, I can't quite. Uh, I've never navigated the OnlyFans like platform, so I don't really know. I wouldn't even know where to start. Um, I found it. Do you have two vaginas? Let us know. Turn me on podcast at gmail.com or two penises. That would be very interesting. <laughs> when, yeah, when I was, um, when I was like, 15 uh there was a girl that i went to high school with and her sister had a porn magazine and uh oh wow here this is a video of her wow whoa she's fingering both 
one side. Wow. Yeah, so it's one opening, and you can kind of see in the opening that there are basically two, two, two ways to go. Whoa. Oh, my God. Whoa. She just fingered one side, and now she's fingering the other. Wow. That's so wild. Oh, my God. Wow. Okay. So I'm going to have to take a look at that. Obviously, I can't see it from where I'm sitting. So. Mm-hmm. Holy cannoli. I think I need some illustration to uh, I'll show fully you understand. Done. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So kind of cool, eh? Yeah. Really great. Uh, really great um, topic, particularly for today's episode. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Uh, off what not not uh off the not off the charts birthing uh out of the norm uh, outside of the box birthing yeah yeah, yeah. wow yeah. bodies are chaotic yeah they are yeah. it's absolute chaos well folks um thanks for tuning in mm-hmm. and thanks thanks for coming to my therapy session and thank um, you for being a friend and thank you for being a friend. Traveling down the road and back again. Um, if you want to reach out, turn me on podcast at gmail.com. Uh, hit us up. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to apply to be on the show, uh, you can do that through email or you can go to our website, turnmeonpodcast.com. Uh, we're on Patreon. If you want to watch this episode and see donuts snoozing away on the table here, patreon.com slash turnmeon, where we uh, publish videos of all of our foreplay and after- aftercare segments. And host episodes. Um, and uh, yeah, hope you're doing well. Hope you're staying safe. Uh, get your get your your nuclear war bunkers prepped. Oh my Jesus, we are. That's the other thing is I don't want to I don't want to die in a nuclear holocaust alone. No, you're coming over to my house, and we are. Oh, we got no time for that. Together. You know, the new if a nuke hits, it, it takes it's too long for me to get to your house. Ugh. Well. I don't know. Should we start digging? Start digging your holes. Um, two holes. Great. Just like that. <laughs> Just like that moment. Oh, Jesus. Uh, Send us photos of your bunkers. Turn me on. <laughs> podcast at gmail.com. All right, folks. That's it for this week. Until next week. Go touch yourself. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.